0: Within three years of release, two out of three ex-offenders are rearrested. Clearly, something is broken. It's time we strategize ways to prevent repeat offenses. Our brainstorming session starts now. Welcome to A Prisoner's Pardon. Hello, and welcome to A Prisoner's Pardon podcast. I'm your host, Michi J. Have you ever wondered if incarceration has a link to sexual abuse? Today's guest, Sonny Von Cleveland, will share his story about how sexual trauma led him to a life of crime. I'll share my chat with Sonny in just a moment, but first a word from our sponsor. Are you looking to find peace in the midst of chaos? Perhaps you feel there's no way out of the current mess that's going on either at work, home, or maybe even at church. No, we can't get rid of the situation, but we can help you get through it and help to provide you the mindset to shield you for life. It's called Soul Therapy. It's the 21-day pardon challenge we here at A Prisoner's Pardon is hosting. We're going into our second week, but it's not too late for you to join. Come join the experience and relax with others in a private setting set up to help you find that inner peace. Just go to prisonerspardon.com slash pardon challenge. That's prisonerspardon.com slash pardon challenge. I can't wait to see you there for some free care. Hi, everyone, and welcome here today to a Prisoner's Pardon podcast with me, your host, Michi J. I am so honored and blessed to have you here Listening. Now, I'm going to ask you a few questions here. Why does a loved one or someone, you know, keep breaking the law again and again? As a family member, are you like overwhelmed with anxiety because of this? Have you thought that it could be from sexual abuse? Well, today I have here today a special guest who will help answer those questions because he has overcome sexual abuse. His name is Sonny von Cleveland. Now he is a survivor of sexual abuse at the hands of four different men from the age of five. After that, He went on to be convicted at the young age of seven, and he's served nearly 18 years in prison to headlining stages. He went from there to headlining stages around the U.S. as a metal vocalist, from obtaining a six-figure salary as a staffing specialist to gaining global fame on YouTube, to now being a motivational speaker and a mindset coach dedicated to helping others achieve their life's Goals. Welcome here today, Sonny von Cleveland. Hi Sonny.
1: Hi Michi J. Thank you so much (laughs) for having me.
0: All right now. I know I didn't say everything about you, but if you want to say more, because I'm pretty sure I didn't hit everything, because you know you have a a huge story to tell about your background. So go ahead, Sonny.
1: Well, I mean, you did a really good, fantastic job. Uh, yeah, I, was, uh, I started being molested by my uncle at the age of five, and uh, over the course of the next five years until I was 10, I was molested by three other men uh, as well, so it was all in conjunction over the course of five years. Uh, and my, I didn't, obviously, as a, as a child, you don't know how to process that type of pain and trauma, uh, and it comes out in behaviors. So a lot of victims of sexual abuse will act out with poor behavior. And that's what I did. And uh, when I was seven years old, I was convicted of a felony for breaking and entering with intent to commit larceny, which blows your mind if you look back and think, why would they convict a seven-year-old of this type? A seven-year-old doesn't even possess criminal capacity.
0: Yeah, I'm trying to figure that Um, one
1: out too. It's a a matter of small town politics. Oh, Uh, Because I'm from a small town in Michigan and and an abuse of uh, authority and power, I I think, on the prosecutor's part and um, the attorneys and judges that were involved. It started at the age of seven. I was consistently getting into trouble. I I adored the attention from the police officers because these were men uh, that didn't want to hurt me. They didn't want to abuse me. Uh, Interesting. they, They came in as father figures. Like, you know, you're a bad kid and you need to straighten up. You need to do this. You need to do that. And that's, that's what children look for in a father. They look for a father to guide them and direct them. Uh, and so the men in my life were abusers and the police were disciplinarians and, and instructors. And so I fell in love with that attention. And then, of course, being in a courtroom, I'm the center of attention. And here's as a child that's craving attention and, and only really knowing abuse, that sort of being the, the focal point of, of all these people's attention is, is, it's intoxicating for a child. And so I continued to break the law and I consistently catch felonies every year, uh, up until I was 15 years old, when I stole a couple thousand dollars from the safe in my high school and the, they bound me over to adult court and said, you know what, we're done dealing with you in the juvenile system. Uh, And we're binding you over to adult court. And they gave me six months in the county jail for that. And so while I was in the county jail, I had just turned 16 and a whole bunch of other charges that I had done in the past started to catch up. And the judge treated me as an adult and said, you know what? I'm done dealing with you. And he gave me two to five years in prison for several other charges at the age of 16. And not knowing any better, I didn't really like my, my mother was not. Involved in the criminal procedures, so she wasn't really there helping me to understand what was going on. And the the attorneys are all court-appointed attorneys, which most of them end up being a prosecutor, or they play golf with the prosecutors. And they the want to be court.
0: your advocate, right? But right, right.
1: They want to <laughs> help. They want to help me. Uh, I heard that before. They want to help get the docket cleared up. <laughs> so he was advising me, well, if you take it to trial, we could take it to trial, but you'll end up getting more time. So my, my best recommendation is that you accept the sentence. And not knowing anything, I'm just listening to my attorney and uh, they, they sent me to prison. So at the age of 16, I was sent to uh, the Michigan Department of Corrections uh, for two to five years. And uh, with my, my first week that I was there, I was raped by two men, actually. They, they ran into my cell and, and had their way with me. And uh, that, that started me down a pretty dark path for the next 10 years of my life or so. Yeah, yeah 10 or 12 years of my life uh, of making all the wrong decisions and enduring a lot of pain. I, I served The entire five years of that sentence, lost all good times because I got into gangbanging and fighting and violence. And then they released me at the age of 21 uh, and they just opened the door. It was like, I actually thought that I still had a month or so to go, but they opened the door. They was like, tomorrow you're leaving. So I left Hmm. completely unprepared.
0: For real. And
1: of (laughs) course, in my mind, I'm a young gangbanger. Uh, I have no respect for authority or society. I have no zest for life. I had no motivation and no no goals. I was still technically 15 in my mind because time kind of stops when you go to prison. Everything else around you just kind of, it's like you hit this massive pause button. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I got back out with the mentality that I had developed over the previous five years. And uh, I was out for about 22 months, not even two years. But in that time, I started to rob drug dealers. I, I was heavy into gang banging and, and violence and it was just a very bad path uh, that inevitably ended up uh, in September of 2004, me getting convicted of 15 more felonies. and wow.
0: yeah. being
1: sent back to prison for 12 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was during that time the, you know the first five or six years or seven years was, was much the same as it had always been. But mm-hmm. uh, in 2008, beginning of February 2008, I discovered that my, my brother was having an affair with the mother of my eldest son. And it-, it hey, You so- can
0: like catch a break here. Go ahead. Right. Right.
1: <laughs> and so something in me kind of snapped. And after a particularly violent altercation, I was given a five-year sentence in the hole. Uh, I went to segregation. And I saw the SEC, which is the Security Classification Committee, and they told me, you're going to be here for about five years. And so that was my breaking point. That was my rock bottom. And while I was there, I was at the end of the hallway. And on the other side of the the hall from me was a Muslim man named Mallory Bay, Mm -hmm. uh, who just started chipping away at me right from day one, he would call over to me and I I would cuss him out constantly. I don't want to talk to you. Stop talking to me. You know, I'm this tough young gangbanger. I don't want to talk to you. You know, you can't tell me nothing. Uh, But he didn't quit. He persisted. And and eventually, you know, loneliness kicks in and it's like, okay, what do you want to talk about? And I'll never forget the first things that he said to me was, why are you so angry? And what is it that you're passionate about in life? And I didn't have an answer for either one of these. I was I thought about it for literally a day or two, and I'm like, I, I, I just don't have an answer. I don't have a passion in life, and I don't know. I, I make, I make excuses to why I'm so angry. I'm angry because my brother had an affair with my wife. I'm angry because I'm in prison. I'm angry because the world's working against me. I'm angry because I was molested. I'm angry because I've been victimized. But none of those were actually reasons to be angry anymore. Mm-hmm. Right? Those were that, that was hurt, that was pain manifesting itself as anger because I didn't know how to process it. So I started to dialogue with Mallory Bay, and over the course of the next 19 months, this man helped me to self heal so much self help. I, I went through every possible emotion you could imagine as a human being through in isolation. Uh, I went through self loathing, and, and depression, and suicidal thoughts, and, and anger, and frustration, and despair. And it all led me back to seeing that these are all just processes, right? Mm -hmm. They're all just nothing changed at the end of each of those emotional rendezvous that I would go on. I'm still here. I'm still in the same cell. I'm breathing. I still sleep, eat, shower, use the bathroom. Nothing really changed except my thoughts, my mind, my thought process. And, And that's where I began to develop like, Hey, the way I think is going to determine the way I act, and so I started to read every self help book I could get my hands on, starting with like Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich, uh, Victor Frankel's. Um, oh, I forget the name of the book now, but it's not As a Man Thinketh. But As a Man Thinketh was a great book too. Yeah, um,
0: so is he.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Victor Frankel wrote such an amazing book. He was a Holocaust survivor who went through the Holocaust and uh, kept his his mind pure and happy. And it's through reading all of these, these books, I started to understand that we develop our personality by choice. We, we choose the way that we respond to emotional experiences and that we can build our personality in whatever way we want to. And this is something that Valerie Bay showed me. He said, you know, you, you have the choice to be whoever you want to be in this world. If you want to be a happy, giving, caring, kind, loving person, right. choose, choose to be that.
0: It is a choice. I, that, that's a great point right there to just, it's a choice who you're going to be. You know, you make choices. Looking back, you didn't know how to process your anger. Right. You know, I think that's huge. And um, I forget you, what did you say? The Muslim guy, what's his name again?
1: Mallory hey,
0: Mallory, he helped you.
1: Amazing okay. man, absolutely. Okay,
0: great questions is to find out what's going on because like you say, you were sexually abused and I'm pretty sure that is a, a link uh, for many, I think men going to um, prison.
1: 100%.
0: What, I mean, cause you know, this happened to you and you know how to process it. And what amazed me too, what you said you were liking the attention from the right. men that wasn't trying to abuse you. I, that had to be very attractive.
1: Right. The police and the mm-hmm. prosecutors and the judges. Sure. Because as again, as a child, when, when a man violates a child, one in six boys are molested. One in three girls are molested. And, and most men, we're, we're, we're conditioned by society to not talk about it. We're supposed to be tougher. We're supposed to be stronger. We're not such fragile creatures. But as a child it's a violation of your trust. It's a violation of your space. It's, this is my uncle. This is my mom's boyfriend. These are my mom's friends. These are men I'm supposed to trust. And when they shatter that trust, their predators are so good at also manipulating the situation. So they make it seem like it's something fun, natural and normal to happen. So as a child that's, that's consistently being molested you you started to almost enjoy it you start to like it mm-hmm. because it is it, it, it's, it's it, attention it, 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 it's, it's and it's mm-hmm. a feeling of, of love and affection and so it goes from this is a feeling of something wrong to this is something that I, I should be enjoying, but you know, it's a secret, right? Because all predators will tell, oh, this is our secret. This is just between <laughs> us, right? Mm-hmm. Not all of them are, are filled with threats of violence and I'll kill you and I'll kill your mother if you say anything. Mm-hmm. A lot of them are, we'll get into a lot of trouble if, if anybody finds out and, and I love you and you don't want me to get into trouble, right? And so you you, you start to feel bad for the oppressor. You, you feel bad for the perpetrator. And you don't want wow. them to get into trouble. And, and as a child, you don't know how to, to work through this inner conflict of right and wrong because you're still developing the process of right and wrong, right? I'm tell do- you,
0: and Sonny, you, you just hit upon a lot of things that adults can't even get through, let alone right. kids. You right. know, I've seen that happen in family members, even situations that I've been in and like how they manipulate and this these things you you hit upon and it's like no wonder the anger and stuff like what can someone do like a a family member that may have someone going through that what are some of the signs I know anger is probably one like unexplainable anger and it could be like getting into trouble constantly and uh, what else can we look for and how do we approach that sort of a subject with them
1: it's so difficult because everybody processes differently and everybody acts out differently. There are some victims that, again, they get, they get into this mindset that they don't think that anything wrong is actually happening now. They start to, it's, it's a, almost a sense of normalcy. So they don't even act out. A lot of molestation victims go on to be very successful people and live very happy lives because it almost developed into normalcy for them. So they didn't feel that something wrong had taken place or that they were being violated uh, until later down in their life when they're in their 30s or their 40s and they start realizing like, hey, wait, that wasn't normal. Or they they first get introduced to pedophilia at some point as an adult and they realize, wow, that happened to me too. And then all the repressive emotion starts to to become enlightened in their own mind, they start realizing like, wow, I must've done this because of that. And they don't even know how to associate the behavior with the emotion. They don't, you know what I mean? So they're, they're Hmm. 30, 40, 50 years old, and they don't understand why they've done the things that they've done in their life. If you ask a 12 or 13 year old who's currently going through molestation or has been molested, why are you acting out? And they'll tell you, I don't know. And it's true. Mm-hmm. as a 12 year old or a 13 year old for myself I didn't realize at the moment that i'm breaking the law because I'm trying to bring attention to the fact that I'm hurting inside i exactly. want to understand that i'm that something not normal has happened to me and I don't know how to express it but at the time I didn't know that and so I have no justifiable reason why i'm breaking the law and my mother and the police and the judges are all why are you doing this why do you do this and you Literally can't answer the question. I think that that's another really relevant sign to look for when a kid honestly can't answer. When he says, "I don't know," I don't know why I do what I do. I don't know why I, I exhibit the behaviors that I exhibit. Mm-hmm. It's because he's blocked in 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 his or her mind. They blocked that something bad is, is taking place and they don't know how to associate the current bad behavior with the trauma they've experienced. So it's not the cause to them. They can't say I'm breaking this law or doing this because this happened to me, because they're not associating the two things in their mind. They've repressed and blocked the trauma from what they've experienced. So that can't be the cause of why I'm doing this. Mm -hmm. I don't know why I'm doing it. I'm just doing it. Whereas if you have a kid that broke the law or into gangs because and he can tell you, well, you know, I just I like gangbanging, I like the thrill. I get this feeling and, and I like this and I like that. He has a reason. So the chances are he's probably not been victimized because he knows how to associate cause and effect. I'm doing this because of this.
0: Well, that's interesting. I like that. That's like something I can grasp to. when if they can give an answer but if they don't know is something that they're trying to it's a coping mechanism that they need to survive, you you're just they're describing domestic abuse as well, oh, you gosh. know, with um how you know a man or a woman going through those things because they don't really realize that they're in that sort of a situation. So how do they express it? And then they try to protect them as well, and right. they honestly love that person, you know, and don't want them to hurt, uh, so they don't know how to process it, but that you gave a great answer. So if they can't answer why they're why they are angry, you know, and this yeah, is something right. to look at. maybe it's some sexual abuse somewhere,
1: right. There's some type of repressed um trauma that they're unable to associate with the behavior,
0: right. okay. Repressed drama, trauma, I should say. I mean, it's still drama, but it's, it's trauma.
1: trauma. It's, I mean, it's trauma. It's definitely drama. It's no. drama
0: and trauma. No doubt. First off, I, I just commend you for coming for, because this does happen to men, but we don't hear about it, and therefore right. we don't know how to address it. And you, well,
1: I, and this is you, one of the things that I primarily speak on. My message is is about, in the the mind works like a gym. Almost. So the mind works like muscles. Right. If you if you've ever been to the gym and you use weights, it hurts you. Right. A- after your first couple of days, you feel that pain, that soreness. And the more you work out, the less you feel it. And it's the same with emotional trauma. Our, our memory, our mind is the gym and the memories are the weights. The more and, and our voice is what we use to work through it. So the more we recall the trauma we've been through, the more we talk about it, the easier it gets. It's no longer painful, it's soreness. It's soreness from something that's already transpired. And the more that we get men and women to talk about it, Mm -hmm. the easier it becomes for them to talk about, And the more that's how you process that. You get it out, you speak it out, you vocalize it, and and you tell other people. And, And it's a twofold goal. You get it off your chest. It helps you to process it better. Plus, you reach somebody else who may be going through the same thing or has experienced it and they don't know how to deal with it either. So my mission and my goal and my message in my life is to teach people to speak up, to say something, because that's how we deal with that pain. Our pain develops our purpose.
0: Oh, that's that's true. Yeah. And how to process that. So, what, Sonny, what was the hardest thing for you to do to get over this?
1: I think the hardest thing was to accept that I'm nobody special. I think... I think for a long time in the beginning when I started to process it and I realized that this was wrong, the behaviors were wrong, the things that had happened to me were wrong. I felt like I'm special. Like, well, this happened to me. And so I'm, I'm this victim and I, you know, I'm somebody special. And when you start to study and you start to Mm -hmm. realize that it happens to so many people it kind of took away that was like almost the one thing that I could hold on to was that I must be special because this happened to me. Wow. And when hmm. you realize that you're not, you're nothing special. It happens to so many people. It kind of take that away too. So the one little thing that I had to hold on to was taken away from. Me. And now I'm just like everybody else again, except I'm poor. I'm, I have no self-esteem. I have no self-confidence. Uh, I'm a victim. I'm stuck in prison. Nobody cares. Nobody loves me. Boo hoo. Mm -hmm. And so it took away the one little special thing that I, that I could hold on to. Mm -hmm. And I think that was the hardest obstacle for me to get over because then began the, the journey of finding purpose and mm -hmm. self-love and self-confidence. Yeah. Building yourself.
0: Yeah. Building up your, yourself and understanding that you are, you, you know, special, but differently special. <clears throat> but it sounds like when you say special, it's like, you know, it's almost like that victim mentality when the, the special you were holding on to before that you, that you're not special. Cause it is almost sounds like when, you know, cause this, I see a lot of this victim mentality, you know, bad things happen, but it's just like, you need to overcome it. And that's what I'm trying to get the listeners to know how How to do that because you have done it and it's worthwhile talking to to you and coming out of such a dark place and oh and it's so hard to do as a young person you know wow we're trying to make young people process something like that
1: we expect young people to know how to process and overcome trauma and emotion when we don't have the education to teach them how to overcome it because most adults don't have the mental capacity to overcome trauma. So how yeah. are we to expect a young child to overcome this? And the key lies in speaking. You know, uh, Marcus Aurelius is is the great Stoic Roman emperor uh, once talked about how everything that goes into the fire is fuel for the fire. Mm-hmm. And that to me translates to the fact that when we're victimized for a purpose, because we're all here for the sake of each other. Every human being is born for the sake of each other. We either teach or we tolerate, right? Hmm. And so if we go through a painful experience, the reason you went through it is not because life is unfair. It's not because God had a plan for you. It's not because it was an accident. It's not because it was a coincidence. It's because it was given to you to teach, It was given to you to show somebody else how to get over it. And this is how you process and get over it. You asked how we teach men to get over it. You get over it by talking about it. You get over it by telling people what happened. You tell them your story. You'll notice I haven't gone into detail about the the predators or the perpetrators. Right. Because I'm not going to give them any light. I'm not going to give them any recognition. I'm not going to give them any type of of anything because Mm -hmm. they were simply the catalyst to create who I have become. And exactly. who I've become is somebody who is out to change the world through my experiences. And that is the same gift of that, that every trauma has underneath it, because behind every bit of pain is greatness. There's always some type of greatness just on the other side of pain. And so when you go through a painful, traumatic experience, there was something there for you to give to the world.
0: Hearing stories about children getting sexually abused really disturbs me. What's even more disturbing is the after effects of it. Well, we're not done with hearing Sonny's story. Tune in next week to see how things turn out. Thanks for tuning in today. Until next time, I'm Michi J, wishing you a week filled with blessings. Thanks for tuning in to the show. For more information on our guests and resources, visit PrisonersPardon.com. If you're enjoying the content, follow, like, and subscribe to this podcast. Also, please be sure to leave a rating and review. Until next time, God bless.